Welcome to What's Your Beef? Each week, we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, this is What's Your Beef? and I'm Jane Cudahy. Today we're chatting with Don Menzies, an agriculture consultant and owner of Universal Resource Management, also Program Manager Technology and Innovation at Hancock Agriculture. But I feel like many of you would have crossed paths with him in one of his many other roles. Hello, Don, and thanks for joining us. G'day, Jane. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Now, I'm going to, straight off the bat, I'm very curious about the title of this episode, From Bronco Rails to Biometric Tags. I get the biometric tags bit and we'll get to that, but what's what's, um, Bronco Rails? This sounds exciting. Yeah, Jane, I guess I've tried to pick a title that sort of encapsulated the transformation that's happened across the beef industry and in particular the northern beef industry over, well, basically since settlement. Um, Bronco Rails were a technology that, um, was used many years ago where a man on horses used to wrap calves and, and brand the calves that way. Um, it still interests me to see that it happens quite readily in the US on the social media channels that I follow, but obviously the Australian industry's moved a long way further forward than that. And still maintain this. I feel like the, the American side of things is, is more of a social event sometimes, but, you know, we can do both over here. Just, I understand you moved to Rockhampton in 1996 to work for CSIRO. So is that where your um, career in the beef industry started or did it begin, begin before then? Oh, well, I grew up on a sheep and cattle and um, mixed cropping enterprise in central west New South Wales. And uh, one of my first roles out of university was working in a research feedlot in central west New South Wales. So certainly had a fair introduction to the beef industry before moving north. But I guess it was always a passion of mine to be involved in uh, big northern beef industry. And so what was the role that you took up with Syro? And what did you make of Rockhampton? Well, I, I guess answering the second part of your question, I've enjoyed Rockhampton. I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, so my role with CSIRO was uh, basically right at the ground level as a technical officer. I used to um, be involved in a project under the Beef Cooperative Research Centre banner, and uh, we were looking at various genotypes and how those genotypes affect meat quality and meat yield uh, based on either uh, feedlot finishing or grass finishing. And it was a great introduction for me to the northern beef industry and obviously there's been a number of technologies or innovations that have come from those projects, uh, not the least uh, MSA. We were sort of the forerunner of the MSA program testing uh, meat for objective measurement and then moving into sensory analysis. And that's now quite a widespread and well-known you know, label, I guess, the MSA. What was When you started doing that testing and, and getting into the research at that stage, what was the what was the industry reaction? Yeah, interesting. Looking back, that um, prior to that, there probably hadn't been a project of that scale that looked at consumer perceptions on beef, and certainly um, it was groundbreaking work. And, and a lot of the stuff back then was um, objective measures, so what's called shear force measure in terms of the force required to cut into a piece of meat. Um, and the industry has obviously moved forward and as with a lot of things, uh, interpreted what the consumer is saying. And, you know, we now have a system where our beef eating quality is guaranteed and uh, the number of beef that are being put up for grading is just continually growing exponentially. And uh, it's for the betterment of our industry and it's been moved over to the lamb industry and also 
into export markets. So it's been a great innovation. Speaking of innovations, and there's a few we need to get through in this episode because you've been involved with so many, but I remember, I think we crossed paths um, quite a long time ago around the um, introduction of NLIS tags, and it was very controversial, another controversial change for the industry at the time. How do you remember it? Because you, you were involved with that kind of technology before it became mainstream, didn't you? Yeah, I, I guess I consider that I've been involved in RFID, radio frequency identification technology, since first leaving university. And my first role out of university was working in a research feedlot where we were measuring net feed conversion efficiency in um, sires and, and heifers. I've sort of cottoned onto it ever since and thought it's a, it's a great technology for recording huge amounts of data. And uh, when I started a business in after leaving CSIRO, focused in on uh, that and the software to do the recording. Um, sometime after that, I came across your dad and your family, and I was just amazed at the fact that uh, your family had been looking at this technology almost as long as I had, and your dad had been researching and using rumen boluses back in the mid-1990s, uh, and uh, we went from there. We sort of continued that association for many years, and, and you and I worked on a couple of projects <laughs> together, and Ian yeah. moved forward. Well, I think both of you are way more um, tech savvy than I ever was. I was just, <laughs> I was, I was learning a lot. But that kind of technology, and it, you know, as I said at the time, we were using it as a management tool in our place, and there were a few around. But it, it certainly wasn't a widespread use of that technology. And then when it became compulsory to have the NLAS tags, it was it wasn't a favourable move across the whole industry. What do you remember about that actual moment, though, when? Um, when it became mainstream, when you've got your your tech hat on, seeing the benefits of it, um, just from a, a management point of view, and then of course, not everyone able to see that potential. Yeah, it's a good question, Jane, and and obviously my response is biased because of the my involvement in the industry. I realise you're wearing your hat. It's okay. <laughs> we've we've put that out there. <laughs> yeah. And I certainly remember going off to some field days in 2004 in the lead up to it being mandated in Queensland and just felt like uh, I was about to be attacked, really. So there was that um, element to it. But I I imagine most of the beef industry have come around to the fact that it has maintained, in my opinion, at least uh, a number of export markets for us, has maintained our clean and green image and uh, continues to hold the Australian beef industry uh, globally in a very good position. Um, not everybody in the industry is taking it up in terms of uh, the benefits that could be achieved. So there's a full gamut from those that aren't using any sort of software or way scales of RFID readers through to those pastoral companies that are doing everything. Every time an animal comes through the yards, they're recording all sorts of information and linking it to the RFID number in the NLAS tag. Yeah, because it it is one of those things that's compulsory. So um people don't always um, see that potential for it or, you know, are adverse to change. But what do you see as the full potential? Like if you had your ideal um, world, what would you like the average beef business to be using? Like on a budget-friendly tech management tools, um, what would you want people to be using? 
Well, I guess from a personal perspective, coming from a farming background, one day, I'm getting a bit long in the tooth now to be saying it, Jane, but <laughs> one day I'd like to return to the industry myself and have some skin in the game. And if I, if I was to do that, it's probably only through adjustment or leasing it. And I'd be wanting to value each animal based on what it's costing me per animal, so on, a, on an adjustment rate. And I often say that's what the beef industry needs to be doing so that each animal's got to be performing to be paying its way. And that's, um, you know, valuing the grass that's going down its throat to whether it's a, if it's a breeder, is it turning off a calf every year? Or if it's a steer, is it putting on an average daily gain um, that means that its uh, value to the producer is more than what it's costing the producer in simple terms? So that's where I see that the innovation currently, and that can quite readily be recorded, that sort of information. But then moving forward, there's lots of areas that analysed technology could move into in terms of moving away from simply a passive tag to something that has some more smarts about it. Well, I think gone are the days where you can just have a few cattle in the back paddock for fun. You know, land values are such that you just simply can't afford to do that anymore. And so to be maximising, you know, everyone has to have an NLIS tag. Why not maximise it from the day they were born to, to when they leave? What do you get frustrated, or how, what? What's your level of frustration with um, with the take up of some of these technologies? Oh well, I guess I view it with this this innovation, like many that the Australian agriculture, generally speaking, is is fairly conservative and slow on adoption, which can be frustrating at times. But I understand, coming from that background, that there's a lot of competing forces there in terms of where the money needs to go. Um, but I, I guess I'd just hope the industry is open to it. And, and as you pointed out, we can no longer just be operating harvesting operations and um, hoping that we're going to be ter- returning a dollar to the to the particular production chain without actually looking down at the detail. Now, you put a real value on education and adaption to change, and you, you've brushed on that just before. But by nature, farmers and producers aren't great at um, adaptation to change as a whole group. And, you know, obviously there are always going to be innovators. But what is your value of education when you say that? What do you mean exactly? Yeah, well, again, I need to put on and disclose my bias because I've spent quite a bit of my career getting educated. So <laughs> I, I, need, I, I certainly value it. Um, and I think moving forward, there's lots of innovations, lots of technologies out there that, uh, are approaching the beef industry and for someone that's coming straight out of school or perhaps straight out of university, I think agriculture is a great industry to work in and we as um, the agricultural industry more general needs to value that. So gone are the days where you can't have any knowledge about computing. Moving forward, it's going to be drones and artificial intelligence and machine learning and all sorts of other things that we need to build into the industry to continue to to be efficient. and. Uh, that sort of stuff is, isn't necessarily learned at school and it, it needs to be valued for agricultural practitioners coming into the industry moving forward. Why are innovators so important? Do we still have a bit of that, you know, not so much tall poppy syndrome, but are the innovators out there to get people excited and, and show people or producers what can happen or is it they get to go out and make all the mistakes first and everyone else can copy or follow is probably a better way of putting that. <laughs> mm. Yeah, well, I, th- I think we need everything. We certainly, you know, there's a, certainly an image of the beef industry operating in dusty, dirty environments and being hard work and ringers spending 
um, couple of years in the north and that sort of stuff. And all, all that works well, all that is, is required. Romanticism of the beef industry, the hard-working, long days, that kind of image you mean? Yes, definitely. But we also need to be looking forward and, and seeing what other advances or innovations are on the horizon and how we can build those into our industry to continue to be efficient. And, you know, one of the issues that we've got in the Australian market is the cost of labour. So we need to continue to look at innovation and efficiencies to be able to compete globally against those nations who've got far bigger beef herds than us and far less costs associated with We've been talking on this podcast quite a bit about the diversity of careers available in the beef industry. It's, you know, science, um, technology, ringers, truck operators, transporters, all that sort of thing. But um, do you think that the tech side of things is, is quite undervalued, even from like a public perception of that? Well, I think there's probably not a, a great understanding out there um, of students exiting high school of the opportunities that exist in terms of um, ag tech. Uh, there's certainly all sorts of areas that people can go into in the beef industry or the, or the agricultural industry more generally, and technology is certainly driving a lot of those industries. So perhaps the animal industry is a little slower to uh, have those technologies put in front of them and, and uptake them, but there's certainly lots of things happening in the cropping industry and um, all sorts of other industries that are involving agriculture that um, are computer or engineering related and enable university or high school graduates to be involved in cutting edge work. Now it's your job really to be aware of all the, the cutting edge work and I think, you know, ag tech's a nice little buzzy word that we've had for a few years but it's certainly more than relevant and alive. What are you excited about? What are some technologies for the beef industry that may not be in the mainstream or even, you know, quite finished yet what are you excited about yeah well i touched a moment on the fact that we've got high labor costs in australia so um, a lot of the stuff that i'm focused on is around autonomous data collection so that might be things such as in paddock weighing systems or um, we spoke about nlis tags or biometric tags the tags that both have a the nlis component but are also perhaps having accelerometers or heat detection um, or geolocation tags showing where the animal is. So anything that you can infer the animal behaviour as well as the location and potentially moving through through to virtual fencing. So there's some technologies that are on the horizon. There's lots of stuff that are around um, water and the scarcity of that that we can be doing as an industry to try and improve that. So water is obviously a resource that, if it isn't of highest quality, is going to limit animal production. So there's, other, there's things there that we can improve on. There's, there's various technologies around drones, artificial intelligence, machine learning that perhaps not uh, quite in front of us at the moment, a little bit more futuristic, but I, I can see how they'll, they'll be influencing the beef industry further down the track. Do you think people, like you mentioned the data collection, the autonomous data collection then, and that's, you know, we have access to so much data when you're talking about um, management of properties, but... Um, do you think people are scared of data or they just don't understand exactly how to use it or what they should be gathering? Yeah, it's probably a multi-pronged approach, I'd say, Jane, is that there's probably a component there of being scared. There's probably also a component of ag tech companies producing things that don't necessarily answer the questions that beef producers have. And a part of it is um, is understanding the potential of it too because there, there there is a lot when you consider the amount of data that we collect at 
weaning, carving, preg testing, all of those sort of components. You became involved with Beef Australia with the Consumer Education Committee, and that was quite that was quite a way back too, wasn't it, Don? Yeah, so that came out of my work with CSIRO and the Beef CRC, where I was sort of heavily focused on on meat quality and, and meat yield information, and there were some um, complaints around one of the expos that uh, as the premier beef industry forum, we weren't serving up the best beef. So that they asked me to be involved in that many years ago in 2000 and 2003, I think it, it was. It just sounds like a lot of free meals and lovely junkets going to um, to get some good feeds, Don. Well, there was a component of that, <laughs> testing various, various meals from restaurants around town. So, ah, that, yeah. Terrible job. Um, <laughs> though that's that's become such a major part of the beef events is is actually the the beef experience, the the eating experience. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the thing that I think always shines when they put forward advertisements on previous expos is the steak on the plate and everyone enjoying that social aspect over a beer or a glass of wine, or even not just having it for breakfast as well. It's quite amazing. <laughs> now you've been involved with with pretty much all of the beefs uh, over the years. What um, what are the, some of the other roles that you've had with the event? Yeah, so after being on the Consumer Education Committee, I had a bit of a break from committees and, and then was involved working for an agricultural software company, was involved in trade fair sites for about three expos. And um, that certainly is a learning experience. It's one that requires a whole lot of energy to be at a trade fair site for three to five days. And continually answering questions, but it, it certainly um, uh, gets you out there learning more about the industry and people getting to know your particular innovation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, around that same time, started to be involved in a few conferences. So I've, I've spoken at a few uh, conferences and um, leading on from there was involved in the Property Tours Committee in 2015 and 2018, where I uh, led uh, tours to Belmont Research Station and also Berrigara. Mm-hmm. Uh, and up towards Blackwater mm-hmm. and uh, had speaking roles at those. So, again, talking about various innovations that the beef industry is researching and involved in. Now, you also have some strong ideas about the beef industry being valued by society. Why is that? What does that mean? I guess coming from that farming background like yourself, mm. you know. Are you going to drag um, me into it too? Good. Thanks, Don. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're very familiar with how beef or how uh, any meat product is produced or how any grain is produced and, and know that um, the beef industry, agricultural practitioners, farmers in general are doing the best they can to produce food that is, isn't is contaminated with uh, all sorts of additives. is just a very natural um, product to put on a consumer plate and for a consumer to enjoy. So I think a lot of the time we've got minorities that are getting um, a lot of media attention when in actual fact, we need to um, value what we're doing and uh, we are feeding the world and we are doing it in a responsible manner. So we need to get those good stories out there. And I think um, we, we always need to be conscious of our social licence to operate. We uh, haven't always done things right in the past, but we're, as an industry, working on it to ensure that we're checking off on consumer expectations around animal welfare and all sorts of other areas. But um, we need to be focused on those areas, but also promoting the good stories and saying all the good work we are doing. I want to come back and talk to you a bit more about the social licence, but we'll stay with the um, with the 
promotion of the industry for a little bit longer because we do have these terrific stories and we, we are such a big industry and equate for quite a lot of Australia's exports, but we don't seem to have the stories out there, as you say. So what's what's stopping that? Is it people's reluctance to um, tell their stories for fear of being a target online, for want of a better term? Well, I certainly think that's probably a component of it and, and um, people from the bush generally aren't the sort of egotistical types that run out there and promote themselves like p- potentially other people do. But uh, So that there is that fear of... Um, being rubbished on social media mm. um, and, and there's some good young people are doing things just promoting about where farmers how farmers are feeding the world and, and those stories are getting out there is certainly helping the industry and, and need to continue but they're but they're more like satellite conversations and, and individuals taking that on themselves which is fantastic and I can give full credit where it's due do you think though that some it is a potential avenue for some of our producer bodies or um, larger groups to take on board more and be more proactive with getting our stories out there? I feel like as an industry we're still quite reactive to things. Yeah, that's certainly true, Jane. Um, and in some respects, no matter what we put out there, no matter how scientifically valid the conversation is, it can just be run down by a minority group who doesn't understand the science but gets a lot of uh, airtime but we, we certainly we need to have industry bodies and, and certainly the likes of ag force are doing that in queensland and meat and livestock australia generally or generally across the beef and the lamb industry promoting our products and promoting the good work that our producers are doing we, we need to continue to do that and and value uh, the experience mm. okay and we'll go back to the social license operating and you touched on it just before but i just want to explore that a little bit more when you say it's a, a, a social license how do you see that operating at the moment? Well, I think the industry is generally pretty aware of it and uh, it's, it's been quite topical at the moment with the um, Northern Territory Cattlemen's Union, uh, Cattlemen's Association, my apologies, mm-hmm. um, uh, getting through that uh, court case recently with Brett Cattle Company and, and the live export industry, those, those sorts of things where um, we need to maintain our social licence but we also need to correct things when they there there is an injustice so um, the live export industry is a good example where the industry has worked together since the close down in 2015 to implement structures to ensure that cattle are handled um, right through our supply chains and oddly enough when the animal transaction goes through and it's no longer owned by us it's still ensuring that the animal is um, meeting world's best animal welfare standards throughout um, the feedlot and processing industry overseas. And there is a lot of, of work being done there overseas, which is remarkable and, and, as you say, a terrific way to have a social licence. John, can you tell us more about your involvement with the brand new ag tech and innovation concept at Beef Australia, the Tech Yards, named after industry identity Ken Coombe? Yeah, that's right, Jane. Um, he, as I understand it, was heavily involved in Stanbroke Pastoral Company uh, back in the day and their stud operation and, and the data recording that happened within their Brahmin stud. Um, so it's fitting that he his name is aligned with the uh, particular part of the beef industry, the Ken Coombe Tech Yards. Um, and I guess it's been the idea of um, Bryce Cam and some others within the management or the executive committee to 
have something that shines a light on ag tech and particularly ag tech related to the beef industry. So I think it's a fantastic idea and I'm happy to be involved. It's quite interactive too from, well, the plan is to be quite interactive with it, isn't it? People can get in and actually have a look at how everything works. Yeah, and and coming from um, that side of the industry where I was previously involved in trade fairs and that sort of thing, you can only um, show so much information to someone in in the five minutes that they've got to come past your particular trade fair site. So we're certainly hoping to um, do things a little innovatively and and have an area such as a pitch in the paddock where startup companies can demonstrate their, their particular innovation that they're looking to take to the industry as well as those innovations that are already commercialised and being used by the industry and showing how they operate and covering all sorts of things such as the, the telemetry component, how the data looks, how it works in a practical sense and giving people the ability to touch and feel the innovation. What's your favourite part of it? Because, you know, you've been involved in everything from how the be- the juiciest steaks in town to the innovators to the trade shows. So, you know, your week must look pretty full, but you must have some highlights. Yeah, well, I guess um, it, is, it is always a full week and the bit that I haven't missed in the uh, however many expos there's been since I've been in town is the beef ball on the Saturday night, which I always look forward to, the social aspect after a very busy week of uh, having a good meal and glass of red and enjoying it with a, a group of friends. So, Excellent. Yeah, that's May not be the answer you're looking for, Jane, but that's <laughs> no. I like that because I can completely relate to that. Actually, so that's fine. Might see you on the dance floor, Don. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a younger version of me, maybe. Yeah. We've spoken about so many spheres of the the beef industry and and um, its adaption to change and that sort of thing. If we're, if we're looking to the future and it's as ideal as it possibly could be, what do you see as the, the potential of the Australian beef industry in terms of its adaption of innovation and expanding or growing some of its of its markets? You'd have a pretty good crystal ball. Yeah, it's funny you ask that question, Jane, because it reminds me of seeing your dad present when CSIRO closed down their buildings, unfortunately, in Rockhampton. And, and uh, Roger came along and spoke about where he saw the beef industry in what it might have been 10 or 15 years' time, where he got up in the morning and looked at his computer screen to see where his cattle were, check his waters, um, see what his, uh, look at the satellite imagery of his farm to see how his pastures were and the food on offer. And I guess a lot of those things that your dad mentioned is where I can see the industry going, where we've got a lot, a very data rich environment where there's um, numerous sensors out there, either on or off animals, um, providing information about what's happening in a holistic approach across the actual farm or station and showing, um, you know, are the cattle performing? Are all the resources um, performing together? So you've got uh, plenty of food, plenty of water and plenty of kilos of beef being put on. Oh, no, it's funny you say that because that's, that is actually quite a lot of his reality at the moment. <laughs> Though he actually really, there's too many of us, I think, at home, so he likes to be in the truck now and, and have some thinking time <laughs> away from the desk. <laughs> but, look, um, I'll, one last question, Don. Um, we've been asking everyone that's come on to our podcast what their favourite cut of beef is and I feel like you know you've you've done your research with the consumer education committee so I'm expecting a very well thought out answer here but what's your favorite cut of meat and I don't want like a show-off dinner party I don't want anything fancy when you're at the butcher on a Thursday what are you going to get to take home 
Yeah, that's one of your more difficult questions, I think, Jane. There's something <laughs> so many. No, if I was to um, say uh, I've got a dinner party happening or I've got just a, a nice casual meal with my wife and children, my go-to cut is always a rib foot fillet. And I've got to, got to say, as we were referring to early in the conversation, um, I'll always buy MSA grated beef um, to ensure the guarantee or to guarantee the quality. Mm-hmm. And um, cooked uh, rare, rare. And, nice. and, and enjoyed with either a beer or a nice glass of red. <laughs> I like the large glass of red. Good adjective. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, look, I'm going to leave it there, Don. It's been a delight to chat to you today and we we'll look forward to seeing you at Beef 21. Oh, thank you very much, Jane. Likewise, it's been a delight to catch up with you again and um, we look forward to seeing you in 2021. Yeah, for that large glass of red. Thanks, Don. Thanks, Jane. Bye-bye. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners. Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council. Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.